you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry V and J-Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show today. We've got a guest. This is our Tech Week. And uh, in some form or fashion, we've been talking about technology and how that affects us and impacts our daily lives. And today we're going to talk about drowning and screen time. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, we review a lot of books and there are books that I um, will skim. And then there are books that I will actually read um, because there's something I, I something that grabs my attention. And I just feel like, you know what, I, I need to learn a little bit more about mm -hmm. that. And I have to tell you, as I was um, as I was thumbing through David Morrow's book, and I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing his last name with the right emphasis. Um, but as I was thumbing through his book, I thought, oh, my goodness. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a deep dive. I'm going to have to read this because there are so many things, so many examples that he used and parables um, in the book that really paint a picture of where we are. We have changed in profound ways because of screens. Yeah. And we don't even recognize it. Yeah. And dare I even say that I, as I was reading this, because often, and like on Monday, mm -hmm. we talked about the effect of screens on our children, right? Right. And and it's really easy to look at like what's happening with our children and to mm -hmm. say, "Hey, kid, you know, yeah, put that down, right, right." But we don't often think about, um, okay, I have to use devices a lot, right? And so we have normalized the way we use screens. And almost see it as sort of like, you know, it's it's necessary, but we don't recognize the way it has changed and reconfigured our brains. And, and I'm not even talking about the glaring, unhealthy ways that we use screens or that we are drowning in screens. And, and that's one of the things that this book, I feel like, um, really points out. And, mm -hmm. and so I want to get into that a little bit. But this is one of those as I was reading it first my own personal conviction. And then, you know, as is um, my role in your life, uh, your external conviction. <laughs> well, I hey. felt this book for you. Well, I felt hey. this book for me and I felt this book for you. Yes. And so I shall begin with it. And uh, hopefully you shall end with it. <laughs> I now, hope it's, I'm, it's I'm gonna get just, the cliff notes from you. No, come on. I'm gonna watch the video. Oh, that's no, not, that's not come the way on. you're supposed it's, to do it. It's, it's a literary nudge <laughs> that you commonly get in church when the pastor says something really good. And it's a Brenda move. Yeah. It's a Brenda move to Brenda. nudge the husband. It's like, are you listening, Bob, Bob, Bob? <laughs> and, and, and Bob's like, you, you think that he's looking at the scriptures on his phone. And he is. No, he's checking Man, sports Bob, scores. No, no Bob he's is, not. Bob, Bob is, is checking sports no, scores. He's looking at I'm the kidding. scripture. I'm kidding. Yeah, he is. No, I mean, <laughs> if, if in fact he is, I wouldn't call him Bob if he were doing that. Just getting to all the Bobs out there. Um, anyways, uh, we're we're going to talk about drown, drowning in screen time, um, and and I have a lot of questions, and I hope that we can mine out a lot of information. 
um, in this book as we go through the rest of our time and, and get our guest on. Uh, first, though, we do have some announcements that we want to make. We want to continue to encourage parents to get um, the Bible into the hands of their students. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to catch um, Walker's program mm-hmm. uh, just before us, uh, just a little bit in the beginning of his program. And boy, man, was he really, you know, hitting on all cylinders as, as he's talking about the mass exodus from the public school system. Mm. Um, there's a lot going on and parents are increasingly discovering what's happening. And yes. so, again, I will say and and look, in all of the years that we have um worked with Tim Todd. Of course, Tim Todd's been working with the ministry long before we got here, Mm -hmm. uh, 13 years on campus, but 14 years working with American Family Radio. Uh, In the last 13 years that we've worked with Tim Todd, this is the first time in the history of any interview I've ever done with Tim Todd, uh, certainly you and I have done together, where we talked about the reality of um, parents needing to strongly consider pulling their kids out of the public school. Can you recall a time where we've ever had that conversation? Nope, nope, nope. No. And I, and I really it, think that it, speaks to the urgency. Exactly. It, it shows yeah. you where we are. And yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those things that you have to take very, very seriously, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it's not going to get any better. No. You know, it's not going to no. get any better. So it's, right. I think it's a matter of prayer, a matter of God, like, leading, you know, a person. But, man, you have to consider it. You have to pray about it. You have to mm-hmm. at least, you know, have that on the radar, yes. you know? Yeah. And and so if you if if that is not an option for you or you don't have um, the confirmation that you need to make that decision, I mm-hmm. just just speak in the and in, in the realist, if you will, of terms. Right. Like just, you know, um, there are many, many attacks on our children today. Mm-hmm. And we ourselves, if we think that those attacks take a break because they go for about eight hours mm-hmm. um, to school. Yeah. If anything, I, that's probably the source of greatest attack in their little lives yeah. in the day. Yeah. yeah. If you look at your home as a haven, if you look at your church as a haven, as a as a place to come in, you know, from out, come in out of the elements, uh, then certainly when they go into the public school system and and whereas once these things were hidden and they were covert, now they are exposed and overt and and marching as you often say, will with a high hand. Mm. And, and so we got to care about our kids in, in ways um, that maybe we didn't think it mattered there. Yeah. But it yeah. overwhelmingly matters. So anyways, um, but, but, but your kids do, if they are in the public school system and, and I'm saying, especially your older kids, right? Hopefully mm-hmm. the assumption is that they have been trained in godliness and righteousness and they know how to stand up for what they believe in. Uh, if that's not true of your kid, uh, you're setting them up for destruction. Mm. And you say, Miki, that's just, come on. Like, let me just say this. In what other circumstance, in what other circumstance do we say a person does not need training to go into the thick of a battle? Yeah. I don't, don't think that we say we that don't. with any other circumstance. No. So with our children, presumably you have trained them and you have readied them to go into the thick of this battle that you're sending them into. And having done that, equip them with the word of God. I would say as you equip them with the word of God, also equip them and pray for them that the Holy Spirit gives them the boldness that they need to stand on the word of God. Yeah. Because unlike any other time in the history of our country, that is what is demanded and required of our children. Mm-hmm. No joke, no exaggeration. Yeah. You can get the word of God into the hands of your kids um, free with the promise to give it away. 
so that they can be salt and light. Like I can't stress it enough, guys. All of the things that people have said to us, uh, to our faces and behind our backs, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, you got to do it. If you if you've ever said, well, my kid is going to be salt and light. I'm not taking my kid out because then what will happen to the lost kids around them? If you've if you've said that, then now do it. Mm-hmm. You got to do it. Right? right. So this is an opportunity for you to do it. Get the word of God in their hand and also communicate to them the expectation that they're going to share it, yeah. that they're going to be salt and light. If you're saying God has called your kid there, it's a mission field for your kid. That presumes a few things. One, you've equipped your kid to be there. Two, your kid is actually going to be a missionary. Yeah. Three, there should be fruit. Mm-hmm. There should be a harvest, right? And here's an opportunity for you to do that. Truth for Youth Bibles. We've been doing this for many, many years. Truth for Youth Bibles. Um, there is fruit when kids get the word of God in their hands. So there are two ways that you can order your Bibles. Uh, you can go to truthforyouth.com, order online anytime, truthforyouth.com, or you can call 800 733 4737. The Bible is free um, if you promise to give it away. If you're going to call and order, you can only do that between the hours of 8.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. So um, consider that. Let me say something and then we'll make the other announcement um, about our date night. But while we're on this in this vein here Mm -hmm. talking about our kids, um, We used to try to be, listen to me very carefully, saints of God. We used to try to be very careful in what we said about how parents educate their kids because, um, quite frankly, people got upset. I mean, if I can just be honest with you, people got upset and they would say, you know, things like, how dare you? You don't you don't know what our kids are capable of doing. My kid came out of the public school system and this is how my kid turned out. How, How dare you say that our kids are in trouble? Um, And so, you know, I I started to pull back a little bit on that because I thought, man, you know, I don't want to unnecessarily upset people. You know, your household, you know, your kids. But I'm going to tell you in a way that um, is more certain than I have been in the last 13, 14 years of doing radio, doing national radio. um, Our kids are in trouble. Christian kids are in trouble. Mm. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't need to know your kid, but it is my living. It is my calling to know what is happening in the culture. Mm -hmm. So I know what's happening in the culture. I know what's happening in the public school system. Let me tell you something. I know the principals and the teachers who come to us Nicodemus style (laughs) and say, I can't say this publicly. I could lose my job. Mm -hmm. I know the principals and the teachers who deliver to us the information that is a part of their training that they are then tasked with delivering to their teachers and the teachers are tasked with delivering to your kids. And let me tell you something, they don't stand a chance. Right. The kids don't stand a chance. If the teachers have to, by dark of night, come and say, this is what my training consisted of. And the principal has to say, I cannot attach my name to this, but you should know. So when you do your show that you can, these are the things that we are given that our teachers have to be baptized in. (laughs) So I'm not talking to you about anecdotes. I'm not, I'm, I'm, and, and let me also say this. Let me also say this. So a person who is on the wall, who warns of calamity that is coming afar off, that's their job to see it afar off. Mm. 
the person who is warning cannot wait for those that they're going to warn to see it because then otherwise they don't need the person who's going to warn. Yeah, then you're in trouble by that time. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. So the watchman is supposed to be looking down the road and the watchman is supposed to be saying, all right, everybody get into position here because something is coming up here and, and, and it, it's not looking good. Mm. Unfortunately, we have people who are supposed to be watchmen in our culture today, but they warn and then people say, ah, nothing's happened. It's not, I, I, kids are fine. Right. And so then they, they don't warn anymore. And I got to tell you, we've been kind of tacit here. We've talked about what we are doing, what our family is doing, just as a way to encourage you. But there's not anything else I can think of that we have done on this radio network or through this ministry where we have seen the clear writing on the wall. And then we just, oh, well, let's just keep quiet about it. No, that's not what we're here for. Mm. That is not why we exist. Come on. We are here to mobilize and to activate you and to equip you. And so if, if you, if, if, the kids are under attack. If the kids are facing real clear and present danger, then it is hatred and it is an outright lie for us to just conceal that information so that it doesn't upset people. It's true. Guys, it is upsetting. But what's upsetting is that our kids are being um, indoctrinated right away from us yeah. in real time. So I, I want to encourage every parent. And I, uh, you know, I, I just stirred again uh, listening to, to Walker last hour, just stirred again. Um, our public school system, unless there is a major shakeup and a major change to it, it's not going to turn around on its own. I know a lot of people count on the pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth. And people are thinking, oh, this is just a hiccup that we are experiencing. Um, this is a little bit deeper than a hiccup. This is a fundamental restructuring of the public school system. It's a fundamental change of the way and what is being taught mm. to our kids. Mm. And the fundamental change is happening in the administration and it's happening with the teachers. Yeah. It is not something that's just going to swing back because, oh, it'll run its course. No, it is being rooted. It is being ingrained. And so it is changing the landscape of the way kids are educated in America. And Christian parents have a major decision to make. Are you going to just throw it and hold your breath or are you going to um, be discerning and do what God has in installed you to do um, protect your kids make sure that you equip them with the truth lead them lead them to the truth and then equip them with the truth alright we'll grab the break and we'll come back and we'll talk drowning oh one last announcement one last announcement um, registration is closed for our date night it's we're at capacity. So so I'm so looking forward to seeing everybody who is going to be there in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. the Addisons on American Family Radio. This is our tech week. We are talking technology and how it impacts both us and our kids. Yes. On Monday, we talked about uh, screen kids and grandparenting screen kids. And today we are talking drowning in screen time. And my aim and my hope is that we can allow this to apply more 
um, to us and mm-hmm. not just our kids. Because one of the things that I realized very quickly as I was thumbing through this book mm-hmm. in preparation for this interview, that um, I often think of protecting my kids from the effects of devices. Yeah. Our kids will. Mm-hmm. Sorry, they're both of ours. Yeah, yeah. people know that. I, I okay. They know that. Um, I often think of protecting <laughs> our kids uh, from devices and screen time and, and things like that. But I don't think about the, the ways that we have changed um, because of screens. Yeah. And and because not only the ubiquity of screens, uh, screens, yeah, they're everywhere, but but even the necessity of them. Mm. And hopefully our guests will help us make sense so that we understand what really is necessity and what should be avoided. Let me make proper introductions here. David Murrow is the director of Church for Men, an organization dedicated to restoring a healthy, life-given masculine spirit in Christian congregations. Mm. Now, I know that he's not here to talk about that, (laughs) but I hope that we maybe can touch on that just for a second. (laughs) Just for a second. He's the author of Why Men Hate Going to Church, Mm. an inspirational bestseller with more than 150,000 copies in print, uh, in more than a dozen languages. And he joins us today to discuss his latest book, uh, Drowning in Screen Time, a lifeline for adults, parents, teachers, and ministers who want to reclaim their real lives. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be with you. Okay, so there's so much information in this book, and it is it is so readable. It's I think that everyone who picks up a copy will be able to understand it and um, feel the right conviction. <laughs> that comes mm. from it. But what I want to do right off the bat is I want to ask you to share with our listeners a little bit of your background um, and then kind of go into what prompted you to write this book. Well, I work in the screen addiction business. Uh, I've been a freelance uh, television producer and writer for almost four decades. And uh, I've worked, my work has been seen on ABC, NBC, CBS, Discovery, HGTV, you name it. I've had mm. uh, work on all those channels. So, I understand the principles. I understand what's going on. Most of the books in this genre are being written by psychologists, but Mm -hmm. I'm writing it from the perspective of a TV producer. These are the tricks that we have been Mm -hmm. using to get your attention, to hijack your emotions, and to keep continually keep you watching uh, your TV, your internet, your uh, websites, YouTube, etc., and I just wanted to expose some of those things so that the body of Christ could be more discerning in their screen. Yes. Use. That's good. Oh, man. And, and listen, mm. thank you, because it is fascinating and it's captivating. And, and I would say it's humbling to realize um, that as you read this information, you're a victim. Like, I mean, and, and even mm. I think for the best of us, those who think that we are, um, you know, vigilant, Hmm. You start reading this book and and you and you go, wait a minute, you know, um, maybe <laughs> I'm not as vigilant as I need to be. I'm a victim. Um, so here's my first question for you. A- apart from the ways that I think people typically think of the way screens change us, generally speaking, are we different people because of screens? Oh, absolutely. We have to understand how strange it is to have a source of visual novelty at all times. Screen time didn't exist 125 years ago. It was vented in 1896 in France. That was the first motion picture. And before that time, if you wanted to see something new, you had to see it in the real world. And most people never saw anything new. Our lives were monotonous. Uh, But Mm -hmm. our brains are attuned to visual novelty. 
Uh, the example I give in the book is King David before he was king was a shepherd boy and he would spend long hours just watching his sheep. Not much happens. Mm -hmm. But then when a wolf comes, all of a sudden his biochemistry changes, his he has an adrenaline rush, his uh, pupils dilate. He uh, responds to the threat with a fight or flight impulse mm -hmm. because he sees something new and novel. Our brains are, are wired to respond to novelty. It's a survival technique that we've developed over the centuries. And, and so what's happening is we are seeing novelty at an unprecedented level. I mean, we hardly ever spend any uh, time not seeing novelty. You look at us in the airport, you know, everybody's mm -hmm. on their phones. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're constantly feeding our brain these wolves, these things that upset us, that scare us, that stimulate our brains. Our brains are on constant alert and they're never resting as a result. Mm. So how, how does this, how does this change us in the way that we relate to each other and even the way we understand ourselves? Do we, do we even recognize what our brain truly at rest even feels like anymore? Boy, that's a great question. I think for a lot of people uh, who are not really screen addicted or would not consider themselves screen addicted, I don't mm -hmm. think they realize how much their attention is taken by these devices and how it has changed them. Uh, a pre-pandemic survey from Nielsen Media Research found in 2018 found that the average North American spends nine hours a day looking at a screen. Now, again, if you rewind 100 years, we might have spent, you know, two hours a week going down to the local theater and maybe seeing a, a screen presentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you can just see how much of our attention, if that's nine hours a day, that's 60 or more than 60 hours a week looking at a screen. Anything mm -hmm. you do for 60 hours a week is going to change you. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything you, you fix your eyes upon that long is the de facto object of your worship. Mm. Anything that you fix your eyes upon that long is the de facto object of your <laughs> worship. Man, um, I wish you would just... Mm -hmm. Make it heavier, David. I wish you would just give us something hey. to stir us to take action. My goodness. Well, hey, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate that. <laughs> Listen, no, I, I, no, I'm telling you, though, I, I think that it's the right amount of reality. I, I think that for many Christians, we don't realize the ways that we've become dull and ineffective, even for the glory of God, because we have normalized the presence of screens in our lives. Um, talk about the way that our relationships are weakened because of screens. And again, I know that there are some obvious ways that people don't talk as much. But one of the things I was fascinated to read in your book is this. And, and, and by the way, I saw myself in this number. I don't know how many other saints see themselves in this number when they, I, I just will read this is page 113 and then I'll get your get you to kind of like um, unpack this for us. Um, we don't. Well, OK, according to a study from Pew Research Center, a third of adults prefer texting over all other forms of communication, including face to face among 18 <laughs> to 20 I know, among 18 to 22 year olds. Seventy seven percent prefer texting. Texting is the most used form of communication among adults under age 50. So there I am. I'm 42 years old. I prefer shooting a quick message because I can be in and out like a burger. Right. Like, I mean, it's it's over. It's done now. Unlike some people that are described in this book, and I want you to talk about both of us. All right. The us is 
who prefer to text because we're like, man, there's a lot going on and I can't get caught up in a long conversation on the phone, right? But then there are others, maybe the younger generation, that they are anxious about face-to-face communication. Now, that is shocking to me. Well, it's true. Um, Employers are seeing that young applicants are extremely nervous and fidgety in the employment interview, for example. Mm. They are having trouble interfacing with uh, customers uh, because they don't, you know, they're not comfortable face-to-face. There, there's a lot of less dating going on because, you know, boys don't know how to talk to girls anymore. Girls don't know how to talk to boys anymore. Uh, the face-to-face communication is becoming very uncomfortable for the younger generation. What, but what the problem, the real problem with texting is um, when you have a conversation with a person, the words quickly disappear into the ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, if you write something on a text or an email or some sort of a message like that, it's preserved forever. So if you lose your temper, for example, or you say something that might uh, later on, that can come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what it's doing is it's ratcheting up the pressure in our relationships to craft the perfect politically correct or whatever you want to say uh, rejoinder to every everything that we have. It, it's really causing human communication to become very fraught because you're thinking, gosh, if I tweet this, will in 10 years, will I lose my job? Mm-hmm. Or it just it's it's making communication a minefield for people. And, uh, it, you know, it's not meant to be that way. I would I would imagine that that removes from us the ability to be genuine, because if you think about um, our verbal communication almost becomes sort of a um, it's it's Instagram where you craft it in just the right way. You mm-hmm. get the right angle to your words. You have to add the emoji so people don't think you're angry when you're saying something. And all of these things that we do that's really changed the way we communicate and it removes from us the um ability and and i don't know if you would even describe it as a necessity but the necessity to be genuine well you know that's true you were talking in the earlier segment about those teachers who come by night and express their concerns about these new curricula and you know that's that that sort of ethos is being expressed all over the culture is people are you know censoring their words and what's happening is kind of the political, the, the, the far edge on the left and the right, the loudest voices are rising to the fore, but the people who are kind of in the middle who hold more, more moderate views are afraid to express their views for fear of being attacked. So we've really got a very unhealthy discourse going on, and it's all because of screen-based communication. Hmm. Okay, so now this was really interesting, and I appreciated you being vulnerable in the book and, and using yourself as an example, and I think it's really helpful to a lot of people to to notice, um, you know, themselves in the displays that come from other people and their willingness to say, hey, this was my struggle. Um, You write in um, what screens are doing uh, to our brains that you set down in preparation for this book and and you undertook to read several books and and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to carve out this time and I'm going to read. And and then I think you said like an hour went by and you'd read like 11 pages. (laughs) <laughs> and 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 you were like wait wait what what's going on here and then from there you go into the way that we read and consume information is in these bits and these pieces mm. and you think about constantly even scrolling through social media um we won't even read a long post and 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 I don't even know if you've seen this before <laughs> but there are people who will give an alert this is a long post yeah it's going to be an investment <laughs> of your time and then they go on <laughs> What does this mean for our brains? Why can't we engage a book when 
you would you would assume we're reading so much more now that it would be easier for us to engage with the book. No, we have trained our brains to seek novelty. You know, as I said earlier, we're looking yeah. for wolves because we get this shot of dopamine, this pleasure when we discover something new or something that affirm confirms our beliefs. Uh, so when we go through social media, we're looking for, you know, these sorts of things. And, you know, I can remember when I was in college, I could read a book and, you know, I could power through a book in a day or two, you know, depending on how many pages there were. But yeah, the first hour, 11 pages, because I had trained my brain for these short bursts of information. Mm. You know, it has implications for the church as well. I mm-hmm. think the readership of Christian books is down or heavy theological books, the books we need to really dive into the word and understand it. Uh, if we, if we can't, you know, stick with those sorts of long reasoned arguments, I think there's going to be an increase in biblical illiteracy or how about mm. the sermon? Wow. I mean, uh, if you can't sit still and in, in a, and listen to a sermon either online or in person for more than, you know, 10 minutes or five minutes, how is the pastor going to have an opportunity to unpack a, a difficult to understand theological concept? Mm. You know, five seconds later, if, if, if I'm not entertained, I'm on to my next thing. Oh. So, yes, it, prov- it definitely provides a challenge to, to the church mm-hmm. and to society in general if we are not able to concentrate because we have so trained our brains to receive information in these short little packets. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Okay, and I know that we will probably toggle back and forth between the problems and the solutions, but I feel like at this point, David, it might be helpful for us to talk about what the solution might be, like in a situation like what you just described where yeah. um, we're just used to the wolves, right? And and so it is difficult for us to sit down and engage the Word of God or engage Christian books or, or any long-form literature at all. Um, how, how do we begin to pull this back if what what we're describing is, 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 is me. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's, I would say that I'm going to get you to the 50 yard line to use a football metaphor here. People say, what's the easiest or quickest or first thing that I need to do. And I always say the same thing. You need to focus on eliminating mindless screen time. Mm -hmm. And so this would be those extra moments in your life that we used to devote to just letting our brains rest, um, we used to pray during these moments, commune with God a moment. And these would be those moments like when you're standing in the line at the grocery store or you're waiting for a flight at the airport or, you know, those, those spare moments where people always pick up their phones and fill those moments in with novelty. We need to claw those back and just yes. train ourselves to be idle or mm-hmm. to be to daydream. Or to pray. Remember when we used to use those moments to just kind of do what were called arrow prayers, just those quick prayers to God? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, you know, I've had, since I've started practicing this, I've had so many opportunities. I could look in people's faces at the airport and I could see those who are in distress and I, yeah. I can pray for them. I mean, what a privilege mm-hmm. as a follower of Christ to be able to do that. If I'm looking at my phone, I'm never going to see that person who needs prayer. Mm-hmm. So I would say the first thing you need to do is you need to reclaim and claw back those moments when you feel that urge to just pick up your phone and play around a Candy Crush or, you know, check the the, the latest news. Give those moments back to God and you'll you'll be halfway toward uh, controlling your screen addiction. Mm, this is so good. good. This is so good. Um, I want to quote you here. We'll go to the break and then come back and get your comments on it. Um, quote, I write as a man who almost drowned in screen time. I didn't realize I was in over my head, neglecting the important things and hurting the people I love. 
I was slowly losing touch with the real world. My body was home, but my mind was in cyberspace. I didn't notice my absence, but my wife and kids did. I want to unpack that just a little bit when we get back. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Our guest today is David Moreau, and the book is Drowning in Screen Time. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. It's airing the Addisons on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, Sherry B and J Mac are on tap helping us navigate the show. Um, we are interviewing David Murrow. I hope that I'm saying your last name with the right emphasis. You are um, saying it right. Okay, okay. And the book is Drowning in Screen Time. I have a confession. Now, before we went to the break here, um, I, I, I read something, a quote of yours that I thought, man, would really set us up to talk about the less obvious ways that um, screens impact our lives. And and I just want to say at this point, I, I really thought that, um, like, I don't really like devices. And Will the Great will tell you that. It's true. I don't really <laughs> like devices. And so it's not difficult for me to shut down um, social media and to take regular breaks. I don't even announce it. I just, I don't really like it. But, but, um, and this is another one of those ways that I feel like, man, your your book really kind of drives home at all of those areas that maybe we have not explored. I have some information consumption practices that are really not healthy, right? Like right before you go to bed, um, reading news stories, like that being the last thing that maybe is on your mind or thinking about the world's problems and all of these things. And, and even that affecting your day, like the next day you've been thinking about, you know, all of the world's problems. Um, David, I'm wondering if you can kind of paint a picture for us um, maybe some of your consumption, your, your screen time hmm. habits that became obvious or glaring problems to your family that you were unaware of. Yeah, well, I'm a recovering screen addict. Uh, we actually had to have a family intervention because I was spending so much time absorbed in my computer. Wow. And, you know, you would think since I work in the TV business, I would have figured this out. But no, I fell into, you know, I was hung on my own gallows, as it were. Hmm. So, um, but the... I think for men in particular, it's very easy to uh, succumb to screen time because we are able to build our own personal digital kingdoms over which we reign as Lord and master. Wow. Uh, you know, in the, re in the, in the real world, we don't, all, all kinds of things go wrong. You know, we have interpersonal issues, we have relationship issues, you know, the job isn't going well, but when we come home and turn on that video game, we are in charge. We are the guy with the big muscles and the big gun and, and uh, or, you know, when we when we go online, we have a much bigger voice and, and our opinion is valued and we decide who we friend and who we don't. We mm. exert this huge level of control in the screen world that we don't have in the real world. And men are all about control. You know, we want to control our world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons why I have fallen for screen addiction and, and have have become overly dependent on my screens is because in the screen world. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big deal. And in the real world, things break, <laughs> you know, kids are rebellious, uh, plans fall through, flights get canceled. Yeah. And I just don't have that level of control that, uh, that I like to retreat into when I use my screens. You know, there are signs that we look for in kids that they are addicted to screens or addicted to media and, you know, devices, 
are there the same signs present in adults? Like they are, are there the telltale signs that a person is addicted to their screen, his or her screen um, that we can watch for? And then mm. follow up question um, again, how do we wrestle ourselves away? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have the courage, you should definitely be using digital tools. The, the same tools that addict us can also free us. You should be using screen time tools or some sort of screen time monitoring there are there's a very clever uh, smartphone app called Forest that you can you can block out you can say all right for two hours I'm not going to touch my screen and during that time a tree grows on your your phone screen and if you pick up the phone and you swipe the tree dies so uh, <laughs> oh. people you know you don't want to kill that tree so you you leave your phone alone wow. um, so there it. are there are lots of really good tools that help you uh, wean yourself off of off of your screens and you know i talk about those at my website davidmurrow.com okay that's good no i want to make sure that we m-u-r-r-o-w davidmurrow.com m-u-r-r-o-w you're going to want to go check those things out all right so um your background in tv Mm -hmm. and media and understanding all of the tools of the trade to draw us in can you please Mm -hmm. reveal to us some of those those ways that we are drawn in and don't even realize that we've kind of been sucked into wasting our time. Yeah, well, I mean, we've already talked about uh, video games, how they yes. make you feel powerful and in control. Uh, the news is becoming very polarizing, and the reason is is because uh, people who kind of lean conservative like to discover uh, articles about liberals do behaving badly and liberals like to see articles about conservatives behaving badly Mm -hmm. and so what we 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 see entire news organizations like the new york times and the washington post are very liberal and they're always going to be saying terrible things about conservatives and then meanwhile a lot of the christian media is very conservatives and they're always going to be highlighting the foibles of liberals Mm -hmm. and so uh all this all this bashing of the other side makes us feel really good and uh, righteous, and we feel like we're very, we're very right. And and you were saying earlier about how uh, you check the news before you go to bed. You're, uh, you're carrying the the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's God's mm. job. God told mm. us what we're supposed to be doing is loving our neighbors and loving ourselves. Mm-hmm. One of the examples when I do live seminars is I I start off my seminar by holding a pair of binoculars up to my eyes. And I say, you know, binoculars are wonderful tools. They allow you to see distant objects and make them come very close and seem very big. And that's what the media does. Mm. Uh, They bring all the problems in the world and bring them right before our eyes and make them seem really big. But the thing that binoculars also do is they keep you from seeing what's right around you. You lose your peripheral vision. And so we don't see the people around us who need to know about Jesus. We don't see that hurting family down the street because we're so plugged into the media trying to solve the world's problems. That's mm. God's job. Our yeah. job is to love our neighbors. And so that's another reason you want to tear your eyes away from cable news, uh, especially, uh, and, and just you know ask God, what are the people around me? What do they need? Do I need to help my neighbor? How can I help the people around me and disconnect and let God take care of the world's problems to a much greater degree? That, that's his job. Amen. Mm, that's Amen. so good, David. You know, I and, and to that point, I think that we can kind of continue down this road because you, you mentioned even just the polarization that is um, present in our culture today. But um, the division present uh, between Christians or among in, within the Christian community because now everybody's everything is aired all the time 
All of our mm-hmm. thoughts are all out there and we take our side and then we are mm-hmm. trying to fill up our corner with people who agree with us. And we are more divided than we've ever been. This has got to be an impediment to the spread of the gospel. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, the church is being divided over vaccines, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. how did how did vaccines become the dividing line in <laughs> in the gospel? You know, yeah. I mean, right. holy cow! You know, I mean, <laughs> whether you whether you're pro vaccine or not, does that determine whether you're a follower of Jesus? I, I, right. I just. But again, it's it's this divisive nature. The way you get eyeballs is to trot wolves out, and the most reliable wolves are the ones that make one side feel good about itself and and be able to ridicule the other side. Because you know, humans are we're social creatures. We want the approval of our tribe, and so we pick a tribe and then we post and repost the things that make our tribe seem good, so that we get lots of upvotes and yeah, you go girl, you go guy, right? And, uh, you know, right. It, it, and we're not supposed to be getting our approval from the world. We're supposed to be getting it from God. Amen. Amen. And and I think a lot of Christians have fallen in this trap that if if they can get their approval online from being a part of a group of like-minded, right-thinking Christians, you know, I mean, that's just really kind of we're being modern-day Pharisees at that point where we're yeah. really not out loving the world and we're not trying to bridge gaps. We're trying to to create more gaps. And it's 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 a disservice to the church and to, and to our witness. You have a fascinating section in the book on pornography, and um, you even uh, lay out a timeline and looking at um, the consumption of pornography. Um, And one of the things I found fascinating was the invention of the VCR and then the connection to sexual addiction and um, and and Mm -hmm. people needing help in that area. Um, I'm wondering if we could carefully touch on that, the way screens Mm -hmm. and drowning in screen time has really um, affected people's lives from from that perspective or in that way? Well, again, the pornographers are using our brains and our hormones against us. Uh, as, as creatures who reproduce through sex, we have a natural, at puberty, we develop a natural uh, fascination with the opposite sex as bodies. And so what pornography does is it supercharges that interest and uh, provides us with uh, imagery that you would never see in real life and creates unrealistic expectations surrounding sex. Because what happens is, is you know, you might see an initial uh, image, you know, like when, when we were kids, you know, I was a boy, you know, some boys had copies of Playboy, you know, and it was a couple of, you know, pictures of nude women. Well, now pornography is live, it's interactive, it's, <laughs> it's so much more than that. It, it's so, it hyper-stimulates the brain so much, creates such unrealistic expectations surrounding sex, that it's causing both men and women to uh, have a hard time enjoying actual marital sex, the kind of sexual uh, stimulation and enjoyment we're supposed to enjoy. Uh, we're having trouble because we have our brains have been so accustomed to this to these bizarre and even sadistic forms of sex that we see in pornography. Mm-hmm. So it's a very dangerous road to go down, and unfortunately, you know, for a lot of kids, they're being exposed to it as early as age six. Pornography, they don't seek it out, it seeks them out. Mm. And then once they see it, out of curiosity, they begin to go back. And uh, before you know it, they have a very unrealistic expectation surrounding sex, and it's really wrecking people's sex lives. Now, yeah. let's let's stay here for just a second as we start to talk about kids. Um, you write in the book about um, children as young as six uh, who are attacking one another sexually. Mm-hmm. 
And yes. this is happening not because they have been sexually violated or sexually attacked. It's happening because they have been consumers of pornography or pornographic images or things popping up on the screens that they're on. How can parents be vigilant and what do they need to watch for when it comes to their children? Well, first of all, you need to not be doing that yourself. Um, a lot of these kids that are doing this are in homes where porn is everywhere. Mm. And, wow. you know, they're in, the parents are indiscriminately watching it and the kids see it and the mm -hmm. parents think, ah, eh, no big deal. They'll eventually be exposed to it. I might as well let them see it now. Well, I mean, that's like mm. the worst right. attitude you can have. Oh right. Kids need to be protected from that sort of thing. That's yeah. right. And so don't consume it yourself. Even if, even if you're not letting the kids see it, it's having an effect on you. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, zero tolerance. It's not in my house. That mm. would be the first thing that you would do. And then the second thing is there are, you know, really good, um, there's monitoring software. Filtering really doesn't work. It, uh, the pornographers have figured out how to get around filters, but, but monitoring, you need to be monitoring your kids use. Uh, I, I don't want to say filtering doesn't work. It's just, it's, it, you need it in tandem with monitoring. You understand mm -hmm. the difference. Filtering tries to stop yes. the bad stuff before it gets there, but monitoring also lets us know when it does arrive. Mm -hmm. And there are products from Bark and some other manufacturers that, uh, that will allow you to put some parental controls on your kids' uh, internet devices. And speaking of that, uh, one of the, the um, I would say that you, as far as giving your kid a smartphone, certainly not before they're 13. Uh, they should not have their own personal device of any sort, even if it's not connected to the Internet. They should oh. not have their own personal devices over which they have ownership. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I see kids as, as young as two and three who have their own uh, uh, children's Amazon Fire or iPad or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to parents. I'll say, well, are those connected to the Internet? Oh, no, they're not connected to the Internet. Or, or they only allow, I've got all the parental controls locked down and they can't access any bad stuff. And I say, well, look at the example you're setting for your kids. You're telling them that whenever they're bored, they're supposed to pick up a device. They're not supposed mm -hmm. to go into the kitchen and, you know, pull stuff out of the, out of the drawers and create uh, pillow forts. No, it, you know, when they're bored, you're teaching them to go to a device. And mm, so they're, they're good. not used to living in the real world. They're used to live. You're, you're customizing them or getting, I just made up a word. You're, <laughs> you're, uh, <laughs> uh, you're whatever it is, you're acclimating them to a digital world uh, to seek pleasure there rather than in the real world. So I say to parents, no to personal devices until at least 13. When you do give it to them, make sure you have monitoring and filtering software installed so you know what's going on because there's a lot of really bad stuff that comes in. Don't let them use sites like TikTok. I mean, I just there's a new report yes. that came out today. 50% of, of, of Gen Z are practicing things like tarot and astrology and crystals and all this stuff. And where are they learning it? On TikTok. Wow. So, wow. I mean, there's just so many avenues for deception to come in. And you've just got to be hyper-vigilant. You've got to be open and honest with your kids. You've got to draw some lines and say, no, we're not going to do that in this family. Let them have their anger and, and pout. But I think ultimately they will thank you for it. Yes, I agree with you. Man, this is this is yeah. such rich information. Really I hate when we've got a minute left in the show and I have two questions. So I can only <laughs> squeeze in this one. Um, but the person listening to you right now says, okay, listen, I'm, I'm over it. I need some help in this area. Um, really quick, first couple steps they need to take. Well, yeah, uh, eliminate mindless screen time. If you're a mm -hmm. parent, uh, screen free after dinner. Once you come to the table, everybody surrenders their screens. The TV gets turned off. 
reclaim that family time, that evening time for bike, going out, taking a bike ride. Uh, if you're going to do any screen activity after dinner, it's watching a movie together as a family. No individual screens, no screens in bedrooms. Just take, make your house a, a sanctuary from the screen yes. world and you'll begin to see a, a happier outcome. David, thank you so much. The book is Drowning in Screen Time. Our guest, David Murrow, and you can visit his website, davidmurrow.com. Tomorrow, if you're listening, I think we have an extra copy. We're going to give that away, but we are out of time for today. So until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.